Welcome, Church on the Trail family. I'm Joshua. And I'm Richard. And we're here to welcome you. We're glad that you guys are here this morning. We know you're going to have a great time, and we have some really important stuff to tell you about. So listen very closely. Your life may depend on it. Absolutely. Or not. I don't know. But it is important, so That's, check it out. He's got a point. On August 6th at 7 p.m., our church will have a family movie night. We will be seeing Overcomer two weeks before it is released to the public. Tickets are $12. The seats are limited. So if you are interested, please email info at symbol churchonthetrail.org. The women's ministry here at Church on the Trail is called Bloom. And Bloom is having an informational event on August 10th from 6 to 8 p.m. here at Church on the Trail. So, ladies, if you are interested in finding companionship and spiritual growth with other ladies, Bloom will provide that. Bloom is a women's mentoring program where a well-seasoned woman in, of faith, spiritual woman, pours into the life of another. So if you're interested in this ministry or just have some questions, contact Allison Judah. That's Allison at churchonthetrail.org. To help raise money for our upcoming event at Hope Out Loud on August 17th, we are going to have a church-wide yard sale. This will take place on the church land, 7201 Flat Rock Road, from 7 a.m. to 12 p.m. It's pretty early, I know. The first $1,000 made will go towards our Hope Out Loud conference, and anything else will go straight towards our building fund. Drop-off for all items will be on August 16th from 6 p.m. to 8 p.m. at The Land. If you are interested in participating in the yard sale, please visit our connections desk for more details and stay tuned for more exciting information on Hope Out Loud. Say, Josh. What, Richard? What if somebody in the room today was interested in plugging in to a Church on the Trail growth group? What would they do? Well, what they could do is they could join us for Rally Day on August 18th and the 25th to see all of the groups being offered for the fall. That sounds really cool. Wait, but what if they wanted to lead one group? Oh, Here's the deal. If somebody out there has an idea of a growth group they would like to lead, or maybe they want to lead a growth group they've led in the past, all you have to do is let us know and attend a growth group training, leader training meeting on either August 11th or August 18th. Those are two Sundays. You only have to attend one of those meetings. So you can come to those meetings and we'll give you all the information you need to lead a growth group here at Church on the Trail. Growth groups are awesome. Get in one. Absolutely. Or lead one. Come on. <laughs> These are the connection cards. You can find them in the seat back in front of you. If you fill these out, we can know that you are a first time guest. So please fill them out. Also, you may put them in the offering bucket or turn them into the connections desk out in the lobby right next to the cafe and the front doors. That's right. Thank you, Josh. And we also are hoping that everyone who is a first-time guest here at Church on the Trail 
will get one of our welcome packets. You find these at the connections desk that uh, Josh was telling you about. But this is a, a little packet that will give you all, I mean, look at this. This is phenomenal. It That's gives you cool. all information, quick overview of all the cool stuff going on at Church on the Trail, and hopefully will help introduce us to you. So we hope you'll pick up one of these. And that's all, folks. You were fanning yourself. <laughs> that was good, though. <laughs> There you go. That Josh kid's got a future in this business, I think. Don't you think? This guy is awesome. Thank you guys for being here. Welcome. This is going to be a great day. At the end of the service today, we're going to watch as several families, as 12 children in our Church on the Trail family, get baptized. Isn't that awesome? That's today at the end of the gathering. And I know, I know a lot of you are here today because you want to celebrate with them. So thank you for being here. I hope you enjoy the experience, we are wrapping up a series of messages called Relationships by the Book. Has this been an awesome message series or what? Hadn't this been incredible? We've learned a lot of biblical truth and how to apply that to our relationships. So we're wrapping that up today. One of the cool things we did during this series is we did a challenge, kind of an, uh, a social media challenge uh, for anybody in our church who wanted to show what we called what we uh, learned a couple of weeks ago is Ed was teaching us about love, about true love. And we, talk, we talked about uh, agape love. So we're like, share, share with us a photo or, or some example of, from your life of displaying agape love. And we had a contest. And uh, the stakes were really high. The winners of this contest would win a Church on the Trail t-shirt and a Church on the Trail mug. I mean, that's just over the top, right? But we have a winner. We have two winners. We were, we're hoping they're in the house this morning. The Hit family, Courtney and Randall, where are you? We're going to need you to join us here on the stage. Courtney and Randall, that's, that's for real. We need you up here. These guys, what they did is they showed us this picture of Courtney and Randall dancing in their kitchen. How about that? That's, some, that, that's true love right there. Wow, look at this. You guys are jealous, I know. But these are Church on the Trail t-shirts for each of you. Gentlemen, just a word, just may I say, we could learn a lot from Randall Hitt, couldn't we? All right, take, take this moment and, and start dancing with your lady in the kitchen. You guys, we're proud of you. Thank you for displaying uh, agape love. Thanks for being a part of Church on the Trail family. And you're amazing. Thank you. Big hand for the hit family. So cool. Uh, next time we're going to want a video. I forgot to mention that. Oh, okay. There you go. It's a, it's a snapshot. But we thank you guys for that. As I said, we are wrapping up today. This is a series finale of Relationships by the Book. And our topic for this final talk on Relationships by the Book, the topic is... Family drama. We're going to talk about family drama. Something I'm sure some of you guys have never experienced ever. Family drama, man. It is, uh, we, what we're going to do is we're going to solve every single problem you and your family have ever had or ever will have. Oh, wait, no, that's not what we're doing. What we're actually going to do, because that, that first thing would be impossible. What we're going to do is we're going to talk about 
a biblical mindset and a biblical approach of how we can deal with family drama. So I want to start by introducing you guys to a biblical character. His name is Jacob. Jacob was a guy in the Old Testament. We actually find we're introduced to Jacob in the very first book of the Bible, the book of Genesis. And in Genesis, starting around chapter 25, and the story actually stretches all the way to Genesis chapter 49, the, the actual details of Jacob's life. Now, we don't have time to talk about all of that. We're going to give you a quick overview of Jacob. Jacob's dad was named Isaac, and Jacob's grandfather was named Abraham. And these three guys, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, were like the, the Mount Rushmore of the Old Testament, of the Jewish lineage. They're called the patriarchs because not that they were loved by God any more than, they, uh, than other people, than their children and grandchildren, but they're the guys that really got things started. And so Je Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. So Jacob is born, and I mean, even before he's born, while he is in his mother's womb, Jacob is experiencing family drama because Jacob was a twin. And his twin brother Esau was born seconds, I mean literally seconds before him. They fought and clawed and kicked at each other even before they were born. And as the Bible even tells us that Jacob, and not to be graphic or anything, but apparently as Esau was being born and the midwife is delivering Esau, she noticed something strange about Esau's ankle the last part of Esau to emerge into the real world. And it was Jacob had a hold of his ankle. Pulled him out. You know I mean? He was like, they were fighting and Jacob didn't want to be second place, but he came in second. So anyway, their entire life, Jacob and Esau, sibling rivalry. Also, the big problem was parental favoritism. Anybody ever deal with parental favoritism? Oh my gosh, this is horrible. But the deal was is that daddy, Isaac, loved uh, Esau more than he loved Jacob. And the mom, Rebecca, loved Jacob more than Esau. So we had a mama's boy and a daddy's boy. And they were always competing against each other and for the affection of both of their parents. Then we have Jacob deciding that he wants to con and scheme and connive against his brother to win the birthright, which was a big deal back then. The firstborn son got the most inheritance and he became the most important person in the family. It wasn't fair. It's just the way it was. Who says life is fair? Where is that written? So Esau had his, his life was pan, planned out in front of him, but Jacob says, I want what Esau has. Was able to scheme and connive and basically con Esau out of his birthright. But then he had to figure out a way to deceive his dad. So he literally disguised himself. In the final days of his father's life, his, his eyesight was real bad because he, he couldn't see a thing. So he disguised himself so he would look like, to a guy that couldn't see where he was, he would look like Esau. And he tricked his dad into doing the ceremonial blessing that he was, the dad was supposed to give to Esau. Jacob seals the deal gets the birthright, becomes the most important person in the family, but destroys the family dynamic. 
Esau finds out, and he's like Michael Corleone in The Godfather 2. He says, I know it was you, Fredo. And, you know, you broke my heart. And so these brothers become enemies. Godfather 2, anybody really disappointed with that response? Thank you. Love you. You're my favorites. Wait, favoritism is not good. I'm sorry. Scratch that. We'll edit that out of the video later. So anyway, Esau swears, I'm going to kill Jacob. Before this is over with, I'm going to kill him for what he did to me and what he's done to my family. So Jacob has to flee, goes to a far distant land, ends up kind of living around and working for his uncle, falls in love with his cousin. I know it's creepy. I'm sorry. This is what happened. So he falls in love with his cousin named Rachel, who's gorgeous, drop dead gorgeous. Rachel had a sister named Leah. <laughs> you know, not, not so much. She was not. She had a really good personality. And so... So Jacob wants to marry Rachel, and so they have the wedding. And so at the wedding, the bride comes down, veil over her face, kind of the tradition. We think alcohol might have been involved. And basically, the uncle tricked Jacob into marrying Leah. Wakes up the next morning, you're not Rachel. It was wild. Now, it all worked out that he was able eventually to marry Rachel also. Again, Creepy sister wives, I know. It's just the way things were back then. We don't have time to discuss it. Okay? You can talk to Ed about it later. He has all the answers. So, so Jacob, now married to sister wives, loves Rachel, likes Leah. It's okay. And then they just start having kids. And Leah has a ton of kids, and Rachel doesn't have any. And so there's family drama there. There's drama if you're married to two women. But... Again, we'll not go there. But the point is, is that Jacob's life from the from before birth all the way into his adult life, nothing but drama. Rachel finally gives him a son. His name is Joseph. You guys remember Joseph in the Old Testament? Technicolor dream coat. It, it, I mean, God, listen, God had given Jacob his, his greatest wish. He gave him a son and he named him Joseph. And guess what Jacob did? as it relates to Joseph compared to all the other guys. You know what he did? He showed favoritism. He loved Jacob more than all of the rest of his sons, which the other sons thought was awesome. No, they hated it. And they hated Joseph because their daddy, Jacob, was playing favorites. Nobody else got a cool coat with all these colors, only Joseph. So they hated him. He was the young, for a while, he was the youngest in the family. And he seemed to be the most important. So one day when Joseph was a teenager, his older brothers actually plotted to murder him. And they almost did. One of the, one of the brothers said, oh, this is not good. We shouldn't murder him. Let's just lie that he died. And what we'll do is we'll sell him into the slave trade. Thanks a lot. And so, but they, they didn't kill him and they sold him to a, 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 a caravan of people that were going to sell slaves in Egypt. So jo- Joseph, Jacob's son, ends up lost to the world, apparently, but ends up in Egypt. And through a crazy, crazy set of circumstances, I mean, he, he gets a decent job, uh, but then he gets accused of sexual, falsely accused of sexual assault, spends decades in prison, and through a really wild series of events ends up in the palace 
solving a major national crisis for the nation of Egypt. And the Pharaoh, the big guy, the most important, the leader of all of Egypt says, I like Joseph. I want him to be my vice president. And he's the second most important person in the biggest country, in the largest government, in the most powerful nation on the earth at the time. Wow, this is weird. But Jacob is still living in sadness and mourning because he's got a bunch of loser sons who wanted to kill their brother, all drama, all the time. Plus, his whole adult life, he's living with the, when is Esau going to find me? My brother, my twin brother, going to find me and kill me. How am I going to get through that? This is Jacob's life. You think you had drama. Oh, my word. Well, anyway, because there was a famine in the land, all of... Jacob's other sons, he thought his surviving sons, were sent to the nation of Israel, uh, I'm sorry, the nation of Egypt, because it sounded like the rumor was that there was plenty of food in Egypt. By some miracle, long story, you should look it up in these chapters, they're awesome. Turns out, guess who's who's in charge of distributing grain to all the foreigners who come begging for food and help during the famine? Who's in charge? Joseph! So here's Joseph looking at his 12 brothers who wanted to kill him, sold him into slavery. And he has a decision to make. He decides to forgive them. Pause button. Who was here last week to hear the forgiveness message in this series? Raise your hand. Game changing, am I right? Was that amazing? The forgiveness message, if you, if you missed it, go back and listen to it. Back to Joseph. He forgives his brothers. That's a really cool story how all that all plays out. He kind of messes with their heads a little bit. But he eventually does forgive them. And then he says, go back and get my father Jacob and all the people that work for him and live with him and all the cousins and the, just the whole, all the, the staff and all the livestock and bring them to Egypt and we'll live together. And so at the end of Jacob's life, he is able to be reunited with his son Joseph he thought he had lost and live out his days in relative peace Whew, that's kind of hard to go through in, in, in six minutes. But here's the thing. The drama always followed him. So we're going to talk about, we're going to look a little bit at Jacob's story and some of the specific, we'll, we'll go back and revisit some of the specific stories. And we'll look through our scriptures, Old Testament, New Testament. We're going to talk about what it's like and what does a Christ follower, what does someone in our day and age do to try to handle and deal with family drama. I wish it was simple. I wish we could just say, deal with it. Talk about it. Work it out. Straighten up. Get over it. And everything would be fine. We've all tried all of those things. And we do need to at different times in the scenarios that we're walking through. But does it ever go away? No. It doesn't. My wife and I, Rhonda... We lead a relatively drama-free life. But then our oldest daughter and her, her husband went out of town for the last four days and we watched the toddler. Oh, my word. I'm not even sure who I am right now. You know what I'm saying? I have so much compassion for you parents of young children and parents of kids. I love you guys. You're my heroes now. Can I, can I get you something? I mean, I'm just like... Oh, Lord. 
And it's not like we didn't, between us, we did this five times. What happened to us? We're like frazzled. We're going to take a vacation after this. We all deal with drama, seriously, in different ways. I want to give you real quick some pro tips for dealing with drama. These, these pro tips are just quick little blurbs. This actually is kind of the framework we want to set before we go to the scriptures to start applying some of the biblical truth about how drama should be dealt with in the life of a person of faith. But the pro tips are, again, sort of the mindset that we should uh, attack. First, and we said this on the very first Sunday of this series, please remember that none of us are normal. None of us are normal. Someone, I wish I could remember, someone came to me after that first message in this series and said, my uh, granddad always told me normal is just a setting on the washing machine. And I said, thank you, Allison, I think was who brought that to me, because that is truth. None of us are normal. And so uh, I think the biggest deal, whether it's with the, uh, the relationship angst that we have to deal with, with our family, friends, coworkers, whatever, uh, but it, this applies to every, every difficulty that we have to go through. The very first thing we should do is realize you know what, I just have to face this. This is a reality. This is my real. This is the way my life is. I may hate it, or I may hate parts of this, but I can't pretend it's not there. So we just have to deal with it and say, you know what, I'm pretty jacked up. And so in all my relationships and the people around me, all I want to do is make sure we all understand that we're a little on the, we're, we're all somewhere on the crazy scale. And we just got to figure out if our crazies can be compatible, you know. So we're, we're, none of us are normal. And the second thing, comparison is not the answer. The answer is not comparing ourselves to other people. What I mean by that is um, some people think that the best way to deal with drama is to just walk around saying, well, there's somebody that's got it worse off than me. Now, that actually, the awareness of how blessed we are and the awareness that not everybody does have it as good as us in some areas of our life, that's not a bad thing to be aware of, right? And it can give us some perspective. And it can allow us to chill out and relax a little bit. But the reason that comparison, it's not the answer. It doesn't make, it's not the most important mindset that we should carry into this. Because comparison will eventually lead us to either judgmentalness against other people's scenarios or minimizing our own scenario. And the real truth is, is that drama happens because of pain. And we are all pained up people. We have all been harmed and hurt by various things. I'm not trying to get all psychos. I'm just telling you. The drama that we're going through has to do with the difficulties we've, been, we've gone through in our lives. And minimizing them will never get us anywhere. We have to face it and say, yeah, this is bad. This is bad. You know, when, when Joseph forgave his brothers, when I said before, he forgave his brothers. You know what he didn't say? He didn't say, guys, you know, no, no big deal. You know, it happens. Brothers throw other brothers into pits and sell them as slaves all the time. It's no big deal. It's okay. You know what he said? No, he said, you did evil to me. You did evil to me. It's not nothing what you did to me. 
But God got involved and took care of me and turned it around for good. So comparing is not ultimately the answer. I suggest try gratitude. Try gratitude. And don't let our gratitude just be limited to uh, I'm glad I don't have it worse off than somebody else. Why don't we make it not about anybody else and make it about our journey, about our life, and to recognize all the junk that I'm going through. God can use everything in my life to... Here's, here's the part of the punchline of what God's plan for your life is. Lean in, because this is big. God wants to win back parts of your heart over and over again, little by little, maybe big chunk by big chunk. He wants to win back parts of your heart that have been lost, parts of my heart that have been lost to sin and to pain and to just life being hard. He wants to win it all back. And that's his plan for you from now until the day you go on in and see him in heaven. That's his plan. So why don't we make it just about gratitude that God is here and doing his thing. All right, so these are more pro tips. A couple more pro tips I want to give you. Um, and this one, listen, uh, this is important. And I, we don't know, the, the, the drama that you're going through right now with your family We're not sure, but it might be you. It might be you. That's not confirmed yet, but we want you to look into it. Because it might not be all them. Oh, no, no, it's them. It's his crazy parents. I mean, and those cousins, man, if they would get it together, our life would be fine. I don't think so. It might be you. It might be me. Do we have the courage to to approach our drama that way? Last thing, pro tip. We need miracles. We need miracles in our families. Who needs a miracle in their family relationships? Thank you. The rest of you, you're dismissed. I'm kidding. (laughs) Kidding. You don't want to miss the baptism. It's going to be awesome. We all need miracles in our families. And everybody, you know, in their faith journey, things happen. You experience cool stuff with God. And there are moments where you find yourself feeling... It's like you can have a level of faith for some things and then not for others. It's it's weird. It's the way we are. Well, I want to share with you, I have a high level of faith for miracles in families. I have a really strong confidence that the worst you're going through with your family member that God has not abandoned you, that God has a plan, that God has healing in store for you and for them and for generations to come. Our God is, as Scripture teaches us, and I believe it's Psalm 105, it teaches us that God is faithful to keep His covenant and to keep His promises for a thousand generations. So it's not about us. Ultimately, it's about what God wants to do to win back our hearts and to impact thousands and thousands of other people. So I want to talk practically from Scripture, throw some verses out to you, then we'll get back to Jacob. We'll talk about it a little bit. I'll tell you a cool story about Legos, and then we'll watch a baptism. That's the plan. Are you guys good with this? All right, we're going to talk about suggestions of how to deal with family drama. First, remain committed to each other. Remain committed to each other. 
I want to share with you a verse that talks about a Christ-like approach to life and relationships. We find it in Philippians chapter 2. All right, it's in the middle of this really cool thing that the Apostle Paul is talking about, explaining how big a deal it was that Jesus came to earth to, to rescue us and save us from our sins by dying on the cross. And, and it's a great passage. I encourage you to look at read that. But what we're talking about specifically is some relational stuff that he touches on. In, starting in verse 2, he says, that make, my, make me truly happy by agreeing wholeheartedly with each other, loving one another, and working together with one mind and one purpose. Don't be selfish. Don't try to impress others. Be humble, thinking of others as better than yourselves. Don't look out only for your own interests, but take interest in others too. Just the thought is, with the takeaway from this, is that we are not going to get anywhere by wishing or pressuring or trying to control other people. We are, going to, uh, we are going to get healing and set the stage for good things to happen if we'll come up off of our selfishness and we'll come up off of, you know, giving up on people and saying, I want to have a Christ-like attitude. The same attitude he had when he came to rescue me. Could I not believe that he has a plan for me and this other person or this other block of people? that are causing so much stress and pressure in my life. Just a thought. Spend some time in Philippians 2 this week to give yourself this exposure to Christ's mindset that we don't give up on people, but that we work towards working together with people with one mind and one purpose. Now, I understand that some of us are dealing with drama in our families to the level that some people are literally not safe anymore for us to continue being in relationship with. And that is a real thing. And some of us are there. We'll talk about that here, here in just a minute uh, a little bit more. But I would say this. You, you take care of yourself. You take care of everybody that needs protecting in your family drama situation. But you decide in your heart, and I decide in my heart, that I'm not going to give up on God's plan for other people, no matter how bad it gets. So remain committed and devoted to each other in the hope that family healing can take place. So that's one way. Here's another. Surrender the outcomes to God. Surrender the outcomes to God. This is a huge lesson that I am learning in my life. It's very difficult for me. It's not, not very easy. But there's a cool verse in uh, Psalm chapter 37. It says, be still in the presence of the Lord and wait patiently for Him to act. Don't worry about evil people who prosper or fret about their wicked schemes. That's kind of an appropriate verse <laughs> for our topic today. Because some of us are at the mercy of some people who are off the rails in the way they scheme, in the way they relate, in the way they communicate, in the way they stir stuff up. This, this admonishment from Scripture is be patient and allow God, give God room to work. And don't be tied up and worried about these people. It almost is like the Scriptures are trying to teach us that those people are really not in control of our lives. They're not. It feels like they do sometimes. It feels like they have the power 
to ruin a day or a week or a month or a holiday or a year. A whole school year. It feels like that. But the scripture is saying, they don't. That's just a scheme. We serve a God. The God of Abraham, Isaac, and even Jacob. This weird, jacked up, messed up guy. We serve that God and he is in control of our destinies and our futures. The last part, verse 8 in this psalm says, Stop being angry. Turn from your rage. Do not lose your temper. It only leads to harm. In our anger, we try to control the situation that we are afraid about and that we are worried and stressed about. The scriptures are screaming to us today, cut it out. Don't make room for anger because I believe the more room I make it for anger in my heart, the less room there is for the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob to do what He does. So that's our prayer. God, give us the courage to surrender the outcomes. What if they win? What if they get their way? What if they end up with all the power in the relationship or in the situation? surrender the outcomes, not to them, but to God, who is going to move and work on our behalf. Surrender the outcomes to God. How would that look for us? Think about it. The next thought is give it some time. Give it some time. The family drama that that was caused in my life 10 years ago this year, when when I... got separated from my wife at the time and divorced a year later. The, the fallout from that and the drama that, that ensued was, it, it was painful. It was hard for me. Uh, it was hard for everybody involved. A lot of, lot of wounds, a lot of pain. But I found that there's no way around the healing that I prayed for and wished for and I'm actually seeing happen in my life. Miracles are happening. There was no way around the time factor. You just can't rush it. You just cannot rush it. There's a scripture from Hebrews in your, uh, in your worship guide. And you can read on that later. Talking about painful endurance for the long haul. Last point though is get some help. Get some help. Give it some time and get some help. You've heard me say this from this platform before and I get all kind of attitude from you every time I say it. So we're just going to deal with it again. Counseling is not a dirty word. Counseling does, does not make you less of a man, less of an adult. does not mean you're immature. It just means we all need help. And I'm not the, a counselor nor the son of a counselor. But I'll tell you this. We know a lot of good Bible-based Christian counselors. And I'm, some of the things that we're going through were not built and, to, to carry that on our own. And we need help. I'm begging you. Stop making excuses for going to get help. And sometimes counseling is a part of that. In therapy or whatever word you want to use for it. And you can say, I can handle it, I can handle it. If you're saying that, my question for you is, how's that working out for you so far? And I'm not trying to make fun of it. I'm not trying to make light of it. I'm just telling you, we need help. 
we do not we cannot isolate ourselves from the body of Christ from Christian believers brothers and sisters who can help us we cannot isolate ourselves or we're we're in big big trouble get some help one verse I'm going to throw it on the screen it's in uh, Proverbs 20:18 it says plans succeed through good counsel don't go to war without wise advice so as you're getting ready to go to war with all these people that you have drama with and some of you are like, yeah, I'm ready to go to war, baby. Let's do it. There's this passage in Ephesians chapter 6 that actually says the wars that we fight are actually not against other people. Isn't that wild? Now, if you take your notes home then in this table talk, you'll find that passage from Ephesians 6 in there. It's not about the other people. It's not about waging a war against them. It's about fighting the spiritual battle. The enemy of your soul who loves to see you in drama and stress and worry. That's true. He loves that. But you know what he loves more? His whole goal is to make sure that God doesn't win back any more of your heart than he already has. Like the thing we were talking about before. So that's the battle we're in. So before you go to battle, don't go in there without help, without counsel, without good, strong advice. That's, that's what I'm screaming to you and hoping that you hear through the pages of Scripture. Now, we're going to go back to Jacob and then we'll wrap things up. All right, we talk about Jacob. Remember that thing about his twin brother wanting to kill him? <laughs> kind of a thing. One night, uh, Jacob, the next, he, he was getting ready to finally go have that horrible meeting face-to-face, the bad conversation, the hard conversation with his brother Esau. And the night before that, he had an encounter with God. God met him. God came to him in the middle of this drama where Jacob really thought he was going to be killed. He thought his whole family would be slaughtered. He was trying to scheme even up to the very end and he's going to send some parts of his employees and some parts of his family in different waves up to meet Esau and all his people. I mean, he had it all planned out, but he was stressing and he was, uh, the night before, God came to him. In physical form. God came to him. And we, we learn it's, it's kind of a crazy story, but he actually wrestles. They actually have a wrestling match, which is weird. But it's what happened. They had this conversation while they're wrestling, like all night. And, uh, and, and God says to him, what's your name? And he said, I'm Jacob. When he said the name Jacob, the name, name Jacob means deceiver, conniver, con man, always heel grabber. That's what Jacob was. And God in that encounter said, I'm not going to call you Jacob anymore. I'm going to call you Israel, which means peace. Wait a second. This guy is, this guy is nothing. He's not even the same area code as peace. And you're going to rename him that? Here's the beauty of it. Is it in the middle of our drama? Maybe it's our fault. Maybe it's their fault. More than likely, it's all of our faults. And there are so many question marks and there are lives at stake and things are getting so messed up and people are getting hurt. In the middle of that, guess who will meet with us? Our God. Our God will come to us and He will help us. And He will say, I know that you feel like your name is drama. But you know what your name is? Beloved son and beloved daughter of me. You're mine. The next morning, 
Jacob goes out to meet his, uh, his brother. Sends all, all 12 of those other sons and he's freaking out and worried. And at the very last minute, it's him, him and his, his, his favorite wife, Rachel. And they approach Esau. And it says that Esau ran to him to embrace him. We don't know what happened in Esau's life or in his heart, but for some reason, Esau forgave his brother Jacob. And we don't even know what their relationship was like for the rest of the time. They, they, maybe they didn't have Thanksgiving together. I don't know. But, they, but guess what he didn't do? He didn't kill his brother like he swore he would do. That's a miracle. Some of us are looking at the drama and the breakdown in relationships in our families and we're saying, it, there's no hope. There's no way anything good can come out of this. What if God met us right in the middle of our drama and our crisis and did a miracle? Well, it happened for Jacob. He and, he and Rachel rode out. And he gets down on the ground and he's bowing to Esau saying, please don't kill me, please don't kill me. And Esau embraces him. They have this great talk. And Jacob says to him one time, he says, he says Esau, seeing your face is like seeing the face of God. Great. What a beautiful moment. And I want to tell you from my own experience with my children and with people who have been hurt by my sin and my deceptiveness in the past, when I have the hard conversations with these folks sometimes sometimes it goes really well sometimes it doesn't but when I do the hard thing the unusual thing to reach out and try to have that conversation sometimes they say things that are like the very words of God into my spirit into the wound and into the fear I'm telling you family drama stinks but God has not left us alone he will come to us as surely as he came to Jacob and he will work. One of the coolest things about that story is that, and it's just this one little phrase, and most of us overlook it. It's about Jacob riding out to meet Esau, and he's like, oh, am I going to die? Is he going to kill me? Has he already killed everybody else I sent ahead of him? Oh. It says, Jacob went with Rachel to ride to Esau. And he said, and Joseph was with him. Young Joseph was with him. You fast forward 20 chapters into Joseph dealing out grain in Egypt and his 12 ridiculous loser brothers are kneeling before him and he chooses to forgive them. He chooses to forgive them because he was doing the right thing and he was feeling the urging of God but he was also acting like his uncle. He was being like Esau. He said, I remember that day when Uncle Esau forgave my dad. And that's who I want to be. That's the man I want to be in this moment. I'm telling you, if we deal as best we can with family drama in a biblical mindset and according to the way God guides us, do you know what will happen? We will affect generations. People that we don't even know or may not ever see will be affected by our decision to not just do what everybody else does and cut them off and, and, and rag about them when they're not around and talk bad about them in front of everybody. What if we did the Joseph thing? What if we did the Esau thing? Generations would be affected by that. 
My sons, when they were young, loved Legos. They also loved this thing that don't even exist anymore called Bionicles. You guys remember Bionicles? Creepy looking creatures, man. But fun to put together. So we had Bionicles were everywhere. You think stepping on a Lego brick is bad? I mean, you have a, a moment with the Lord when you step on a Bionicle. So there was this thing when my kids were in grade school. One was in the third grade, one was in the first grade. And we would do this thing where we would let them take one toy to school. Really poor parenting. I'm just going to tell you right now because stuff got lost all the time. One day, my older son Derek is in the third grade and he takes one of his brother's Bionicles to school. Guess what happened to Bionicle? Lost. Lost forever. Bryce finds out and is weeping and gnashing of teeth up in, upstairs in his bedroom. The worst thing has ever happened in his life. How will I mo- go on? One of my eight Bionicles is gone forever. But it's a moment I'm like, hey, you know, I need to, I need to help these guys work through, through this because when, when you get older, the stakes get higher. And brothers hurt brothers and sisters mess with brothers and, and it costs more than just the $10 Bionicle when they get older. So I said to Derek, we got to go. We're going to have a talk with Bryce. We're going to ask his forgiveness. And the next time it's your turn to buy a Bionicle with your own money or allow it or not in Papa's money, you're going to buy him a Bionicle. You're going to make restitution. So Derek is just beside himself. Doesn't want to have this conversation. I said, okay, let's do it. We're doing it. And Derek asked me a question. He said, Daddy, will you tell him for me? <laughs> And I said, no, man, you got to do something you got to do. Something you got to do. But I said, I, I tell you what, Bubba. I'll go in there with you. I'll go in there with you. And I'll sit right beside you the whole time. You won't be in there by yourself. And he says, okay. He wasn't as comforted by that as I hoped he would be, but he said, all right, you know. So we're standing, literally standing in front of the closed bedroom door. Bryce is sitting in there like a tribunal, you know, on the floor, cross-legged. What are you going to do to make this right, Derek? So, it, and so we're standing in front of the door, and I'm just standing there like this, and Derek's beside me, and he's, you know, doing the crying and everything. And I'm just like, Lord, help this boy learn something. And in that moment, I, uh, I'm standing like this with my arms down like this, and I, and I, I felt the, his hand grab mine. And I looked down and I said, you ready, Bubba? And he said, yeah. And we went in and we did the deed. And we had the talk. And there was no, it, it wasn't fun. And it was hard. And he got forgiveness. We eventually made restitution. But I'll never forget that moment because I knew that he was about to do something he didn't want to do. And he reached up and he grabbed my hand. So here's my thing. Here's my point. What if, when you think about the drama that you've got to deal with with your family, and I feel like, think about my family drama, in these no-win scenarios, there's no way this could get fixed. There's no way this can work. Well, you know what? Define fixed. Define work. I, you know what? That's, we have to release the outcomes. This is about our hearts being right before God. But what if we're looking at that stuff And we say, I've got to have a hard talk. I've got to have a hard decision. I've got to let go of some anger. I've got to offer forgiveness like we learned last week. What if if we were sitting there? What if we were comforted by the one fact that we're never expected to do that on our own? 
We're never expected to figure it out all by ourselves and we're never expected to do it alone. That our God is with us. That's why God came to Jacob the night before and said, you are not alone and you're not even who you think you are. I'm going to change you. I am changing your heart. God is with us. So here's my question before we wrap. What, where is your heart with God this morning? Do you have a relationship with God? Are you, are you doing the drama all by yourself? Why not today ask God for your own forgiveness and kickstart your relationship with God? Come to God today for the first time. Come back to God today for the first time in a long time. We are told that if Christ is our Lord, the leader of our lives, then there is nothing that can separate us from Him. Not even the drama. Not even the worst case scenario of what might happen. He is with us. He is with us. And I just wonder if we couldn't, in our own way, in prayer, reach our hand up into His this morning and say, I don't think I can do this. I don't know how to do this. I'm scared. Well, I don't know what's going to happen. But it, could we maybe just reach our hand into His and say, God, please be with me through this hard, hard thing that I have to do and this hard relationship that I have to live with. God, help me. God, be with me. Let's bow our heads.